Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's go in-depth on all things Hawkeyes. This is Hawk Central on Des Moines Sports Station, 106.3 KXNO. Happy Wednesday, Hawkeye fans, and welcome into the Hawk Central Radio Show here on 106.3 KXNO. I am your host, Chad Leistico of the Des Moines Register, and happy to be back after a week off from the airwaves while I was on vacation, while Kennington Smith was moving on to his new job at The Athletic, covering Alabama football. So while I wait for a new sidekick on the Hawkeye Beat, I will be spending the next few weeks few months lining up special guests for our weekly show here in Des Moines. Tonight, I have three guests in our segment, our second segment, Randy Peterson, my colleague at the register who covers Iowa State, will help me dig into the Iowa, Iowa State sports gambling investigation that has dominated the headlines this week. Later in the program, I'll bring in Ohio State football beat writer Nathan Baird to learn about the new Buckeyes transfer, Caleb Brown, who is going to inject a load of talent, at least into the Hawkeye wide receiver room. But first, let's bring in a guy who was on the scene at Dwayne Banks Field this past weekend when the speculation began to swirl about a sports gambling story involving Iowa athletics. Welcome in, my registered colleague based in Iowa City, Dargan Southard. How are you doing, Dargan? I'm doing well. Uh, you, you came back from vacation and, <laughs> and the beat kind of hit you, hit you in the face a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I, I spent the early part of Monday writing a Caleb Brown story, then all of a sudden... Uh, I mean, I had kind of heard rumblings of the, the sports gambling thing, and then it really kind of blew up in the afternoon. But, yeah, let's get into it. Uh, you were, you know, it kind of got going Friday. Uh, let's start with the headlines, though, first. Uh, we now have learned on May 2nd, uh, the university I was notified of, quote, potential criminal conduct related to sports wagering. Uh, same at Iowa State. We know the uh, DCI is investigating. Uh, at Iowa, a total of 111 individuals were identified, including including 26 current student athletes in baseball, football, men's basketball, men's track and field, and men's wrestling, plus one athletics administrator uh, who, uh, I don't know who that is, but maybe they don't work there anymore. I don't know. Uh, at Iowa State, uh, approximately 15 student athletes uh, were involved or identified, including football, track, and wrestling. So we will get into the football implications later in the show. But Dargan, let's go back to Banksfield on Friday night. And you notice uh, Keaton Anthony, uh, one of the best players on the team, one of the best players of the last several seasons, is not in the lineup. Kind of take me into the scene and, and what uh, what kind of buzz was starting to swirl over the weekend. Yeah, you know, you get to the park on Friday afternoon, uh, you know, not really expecting anything different other than a, a important weekend for Rick Heller's team. Um, obviously, Keaton Anthony uh, not being in the lineup stood out immediately. Um, you know, as you mentioned, he's the best player on the team, the best hitter on the team, uh, one of the best players in the conference. And, and I've wondered kind of over the last couple of days um, if if somebody that prominent on the baseball team hadn't been, you know, removed from the lineup, would how, how would this story have 
you know, broken differently because I feel like, um, you know, again, obviously Keaton Anthony not being in the lineup stood out. Uh, Iowa was very uh, noncommittal on, a, on an answer pregame on why that is. So that was kind of the first flag that maybe something was off because usually if it's an injury or something like that, you know, the SID will give you, you know, will tell you what, what the deal is. And, you know, it kind of grew even more when everybody came out for the national anthem and we still didn't see Keaton Anthony because, um, you know, even if you're hurt or dinged up, you're usually in the dugout. Um, so, uh, and then after the game, we got the uh, two sentence statement from Iowa that, you know, some student athletes were being held out uh, for potential NCAA violations and that no one else would have any comment of it. Um, you know, it kind of, it was kind of this weird energy for the rest of the weekend because, you know, they, everybody around the baseball team was, was pretty kind of, you know, operating like this ominous cloud was kind of there. Um, and so, you know, Keen Anthony didn't return. Um, there was a few other players that, you know, over the course of the weekend didn't come out for the anthem. You could kind of process of elimination, figure out who wasn't there and whatnot. Um, and so, you know, leaving, leaving Banks Field on Sunday, um, you know, I kind of thought that this was, you know, a, mostly a baseball story with, you know, like you said, some rumblings that maybe some football players were involved, didn't know who or how many. Um, but then it quickly became much more than that on Monday when, um, you know, pretty much everybody that is associated with the universities in Iowa put out a statement, you know, the Board of Regents, both universities, mm -hmm. uh, the Gaming Commission started talking. And then you realize kind of the magnitude of this, um, you know, as far as, you know, the, the activity and, and what was actually happening. I don't think we know the, the full details of the magnitude of that yet. But once the, the numbers came out and, and you saw how many sports it was spread across, um, I think it quickly became clear that this was going to be a pretty important story, not just in Iowa, but, you know, as the NCAA looks to set some sort of precedent um, on this type of issue, because as everybody is, you know, who's weighed in on this has said one way or another, obviously this is not just happening in Iowa. Mm -hmm. um, this is happening, you know, universities all over the school, especially ones in in legal uh, gambling states. And so, um, you know, I, I, I do think the most important piece of, of information that has come out so far is the gaming commission's pretty strong statement that they don't believe that any point shaving or game fixing is involved because obviously with the proximity to this story with the Alabama baseball story, mm -hmm. um, you know, naturally everybody kind of clump those together and say, you know, college baseball, sports betting under the same umbrella. But um, with that statement being put out there, that that is kind of a very big distinction between the two things where in Alabama, in the Alabama case, you had pretty clear cut conflict of interest, uh, negligent behavior in placing bets on a game from that you're directly involved in, obviously, as the head coach. Um, there's not been any... Uh, evidence of that um you know i did think it was is was noteworthy that uh there was five books that had all three iowa baseball betting lines for this past weekend um i would expect some uh if not that many books to have betting lines for this coming weekend against michigan state um so it would have been very easy for those books to leave off 
the Iowa game um, mm. or not put it on there if they suspected any sort of of issues because obviously you know we don't know the full timeline you know all we know is is when uh, Iowa was notified of potential criminal activity we don't know necessarily when these base these bets were placed um, you know were you know as of right now it seems like Iowa baseball is the only one in season with betting options right that, track and field you know, in is, season is, as well but but you can't bet on that yeah <laughs> you can't bet on the pole vault I, I, I haven't found any place to bet on uh, college <laughs> track so i can't imagine there's a huge market for that but um so so i do think it's noteworthy that there hasn't been an announcement of halting bets on iowa baseball taking iowa baseball off the board um i think that's a pretty clear indication that there's no uh, point shaving or game fixing, which ultimately, you know, is, is what everybody who is in charge of regulating this world wants to avoid because, you know, if the integrity of sports are compromised, um, then, you know, that kind of devalues the product for everyone. Um, so I, I think that's certainly concern number one for the gaming commissions, the sports books, people on that side of the fence in this issue. Um, so now, uh, you know, it, obviously that could change. You know, we're just at the beginning of this. You know, if it comes out down the road that, you know, more in the investigation revealed that some of that stuff was going on, if Iowa baseball games get taken off the board, I don't expect that to happen. But that would be signs that this has kind of reached a different level of mm-hmm. severity. Um, and so now it kind of is more on – you know, assuming that the bulk of these athletes were placing, you know, reasonably small bets on sports that they don't play in, not their games, um, then it kind of turns to a question of, you know, how is this viewed? How is this issue viewed moving forward through the lens of the NCAA, which, um, you know, has had betting guidelines in place for a while, but they were kind of more created when it was the you know, the organized crime with the bookie and all that kind of your, you know, a little outdated, you know, sports betting scene. Um, And so it'll be interesting to see um, what kind of the NCAA's uh, reaction to this is. Um, Suspension-wise, I think that's pretty inevitable at this point. Um, So obviously a lot of of precedents that that don't have a ton of, of, you know, previous experience with, but uh, will certainly play a big part in how this issue is handled moving forward across the country. Yeah, that was a robust answer, Dargan. That was uh, uh, Brian Ferentz-esque. I think you <laughs> a good filibuster <laughs> there. Very, very nicely done. I know a lot of info packed in that to that answer. Uh, you wrote yesterday, we, all, we were all writing uh, different stuff, uh, different angles yesterday. Uh, I'll get into uh, kind of what I wrote uh, with Randy Peterson a little bit later. But uh, you wrote like kind of an FAQs, and I think it's kind of interesting and noteworthy to just make sure that our listeners, our readers, understand that it is an NCAA violation to bet on sports that are NCAA sanctioned. In other words, if they're, uh, you know, basketball is NCAA sanctioned, uh, you know, tennis, mm-hmm. golf, uh, football, obviously, you know, even hockey, uh, even though it's not at Iowa, it's an NCAA sanctioned sport. So, you know, an Iowa baseball player cannot bet $10 uh, on, you know, the Vancouver Canucks money line. You know, that's, that is an NCAA violation, just to be clear. And that is, Dargan, kind of where we think most of these cases, if not all uh, of these cases involving 
uh, Iowa athletes and Iowa State. Uh, that seems to be the case, but we don't know that for sure. And we don't know, even though lines didn't move or irregular activity, we don't know for sure if some athletes maybe even bet on their own games. It doesn't mean um, it doesn't mean they were tanking or doing anything like that, but maybe they just thought their team was going to win and they bet on them. We don't know that. Uh, we'll, we'll have to see. Um, so there's a lot kind of 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 stuff you know out there but it clearly the one thing is it is against ncaa rules now is that that's not criminal action that's and that's ncaa violation action and the ncaa dargan takes it extremely seriously and that's something i want to get into now because that's what i wrote uh today or for today's register kind of led with the the story of, of alan tisdale of virginia tech who if you haven't heard it yet uh it's worth hearing, if you have heard it, it's worth hearing again. But if you haven't heard it, it's a really telling story as this Iowa case unfolds. Because here's a guy uh, going into his fifth year senior year at Virginia Tech in football, uh, was given a, a slideshow presentation like most universities do, compliance departments do, to say, don't basically don't gamble. And Virginia had recently legalized sports gambling, and he realized that. Uh, you know his his you know he got that gut feeling like oh gosh I committed a violation here so he went to, because he bet uh, according to him f- about four hundred dollars on the NBA finals between Golden State and Boston he won forty one bucks Dargan in profit so he did pretty good big winner <laughs> he did big pretty winner. good <laughs> must have uh, you know you know bet maybe you know you know couple like eight fifty dollar bets and won like five of them so, or something like that you know so. Um, Basically, and ended up telling his coach, coming clean, self-reported it, donated the forty-one bucks to charity, and what he got out of that, Dargan, a nine-game suspension from the NCAA out of twelve, uh, which was reduced to six on appeal. But still, uh, the message there was basically, you can't gamble, and maybe don't self-report because uh, that's what happened to, to this young man. But even that situation, Dargan got a half a season of college football. So if there are, that's kind of what we want to tell people. Even, uh, even that was half a season in football. And so I don't expect the baseball players to come back based on that. Now, maybe the leniency has changed. I think that's the hope for I among Iowa baseball players, but that's kind of where we are on, on punishments, right? Yeah. I, I would honestly be surprised if, if any of the players come back this season, which you know, it's unfortunate, but, um, you know, that's, that's kind of the risk you take, um, in, in this kind of beginning stage of these two worlds intersecting on a legal level, because, you know, as you outlined, the Virginia tech situation is probably about as innocent, uh, you can get in this, in this ordeal, you know, self-reported wasn't a ton of money was betting on a sport that he doesn't play. Um, and, you know, or the pro equivalent of it, um, and again, still got a a pretty lengthy suspension. So, um, you know, it's 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 hard to envision there being, you know, as of right now, that's that's kind of the precedent. You know, yeah, there haven't been many been cases. Some, yeah, I mean, sports no, gambling really is pretty new been. nationally, and uh, you know, Iowa was the eleventh state out of thirty three to legalize sports gambling. So we were one of the first, and the first in the Midwest. So. Yeah. This is old hat for us, but a lot of these states right. are, are brand new. 
So anyway, continue. Yeah, so, you know, I, based on that, you know, given that there's not really a ton to go off of, um, you know, if there are any football, you know, there are football players on, on both schools um, that was mentioned in, in both releases, you know, I, I would be, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they get hit with, you know, five, six game suspension. I don't think that's certainly out of the realm of a possibility and may even be likely at this point, given what happened. And, mm-hmm. and again, you know, it's, we don't know if all the situations were as, you know, innocent is the Virginia tech situation. There certainly could be more, uh, you know, kind of no, no examples than that. Um, but again, you know, one, one thing I will have to say is I guess I, you know, if you were playing devil's advocate and looking at this through the NCA's lens or maybe the gaming commission's lens, you know, there is a lot of intersection between guys who are, you know, college athletes at prominent schools and other people, you know, in various sports, you know, whether that's, you know, guys from Iowa who go to the NFL, who still talk to, you know, some of their old teammates. That's sure. Certainly, yeah. That's, I would imagine that's a very fair point. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we've, we've touched on how this isn't the case in Iowa, but in Illinois, um, there's a lot of college prop bets, which obviously yeah. would be a lot easier as a singular player to, you know, influence a prop bet uh, on your own stats than the team, a team wide result. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess I, I understand why, you know, even though it's, it's unfortunate that, you know, again, uh, a, a Virginia Tech football player betting on the NBA. The, the chance of any insider information there is, is very, 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 very slim. <laughs> yeah. But I, right. I, I, guess, I guess I understand that the NCAA, in order to, you know, have a stance on this kind of has to either be okay with a lot of it or be okay with none of it. And, and obviously they've, they've chosen the latter. Now, one thing I think that, that does need to kind of get updated is the suspension links because – um, I think those need to be evaluated very much on a case by case basis because, you know, I think we can all agree that getting suspended nine games or betting $400 on a sport that you aren't really associated with probably doesn't add up um, just in terms of the crime doesn't really fit the punishment. So um, I think that that is probably the part where the NCAA can maybe update things the most is, you know, Hey, let's let's reduce suspensions. Let's or maybe there is no suspension. Maybe you know there's there's other disciplinary ways. I'm not sure. So um, it'll be interesting to see how the NCAA kind of evolves or doesn't evolve. Uh, yeah. You know, with this issue moving forward, because it's going to be dealing with it in numerous cases. I think we can all agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and as you said, there's a wide range of severity. And now maybe, again, the, it's okay if the NCAA wants to take a hardline stance, but I think I do think there there is a case-by-case situation. And the bylaws do allow for a little case-by-case uh, ruling, but you know, even the minimum could be a significant uh, penalty. And there's no question it's going on at places more than Iowa. It just so happened that the DCI investigated this. Uh, in Iowa, and again, we in our state have had sports gambling for a lot longer. So um, you know, there's a lot longer track record and and red flags that maybe have popped up over the years or whatnot. 
Um, and just uh, I had one source, uh, you know, tell me that uh, he is f- that uh, within Iowa that uh, he is fully aware of other Big Ten athletes betting on their own teams, um, at least claiming that they do. And so you have to imagine a lot of people around the country are deleting their sportsbook apps and hoping that nothing comes of it uh, from here on out because I think it's very naive to think that college students, uh, including athletes, are, are not sports wagering out there. So, Dargan, before I let you go, we got about a minute or two left. Uh, I did want to talk a little basketball. Iowa men and women have a December 16th doubleheader at Wells Fargo Arena. Uh, Caitlin Clark and the women will face 30-win Cleveland State, so that's no slouch opponent. Iowa men uh, are facing a slouch opponent, Florida A&M, number 359 in the Ken Palm. Uh, but uh, I'll give you the, the last word here, but as someone who has covered you and I men's basketball for us, what do you kind of make of Iowa, the Hawkeyes, returning to Wells Fargo for the first time since the Big Four Classic ended five years ago and not playing you and I or Drake? Yeah, you know, obviously it it's going to rile up you and I and Drake fans quite a bit. Um, even though I, I understand, I guess, why those, those games don't happen anymore. Um, but I do think it's a, it's certainly a cool event. Um, you know, obviously Des Moines is kind of a, an extension of Iowa city in a lot of ways from a Iowa fan base perspective. Um, and so for them to come over to, to be in that backyard again, um, I think is really cool. Um, obviously, the women's game is is going to be pretty solid as well. I'd imagine that's going to be an easy sellout, mm-hmm. um, just given the state of things. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 kind of a nice way to spice up a little bit. Um, two games, uh, you know, every team kind of has a couple of those buy games that that aren't really don't have a lot of glamour to them. So this is kind of a way to to add a, another element that's pretty cool uh, in the non-conference for both of them. Yeah, and uh, it's uh, the tickets are available through High V Tickets on May twenty fourth, and Caitlin Clark, of course, sponsored by High V. So there has to be some tie there. Maybe you know, it's a Saturday. Maybe Patrick Mahomes stops in. Who knows? Uh, just kidding. I highly doubt that, but uh, uh, you never know. You never know. She's gonna, she's gonna keep trying. That's yeah, for sure. It's gonna I happen. That. I think it's gonna happen one of these days. I do. All right, man. Okay. Thank, <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, I got to run, but uh, thank you, Dargan. Already appreciate it. You bet. Uh, coming up next, more on the Iowa Iowa State gambling story with the Register's Randy Peterson, who has co-authored some stories this week with me in the Des Moines Register. That conversation after the break here on Hawk Central, one hundred six point three KXNO. This is Hawk Central on Des Moines Sports Station, one hundred six point three KXNO. Welcome back to Hawk Central Radio here on 106.3 KXNO. Chad Leistico here of the Des Moines Register serving as your host. Good conversation to start the show uh, with Dargan Southerd on the sports gambling investigation involving Iowa and Iowa State Athletics. Now let's continue that conversation into another area, the football implications and the potential criminal conduct that was referenced in the Iowa press release. So for that, let's bring in the Register's Iowa State Cyclones columnist, Randy Peterson. Randy, from our, uh, is it okay if I say, from our Okaboji Bureau this week? 
That's fine. Sure, that's fine. I'm working. <laughs> I'm working at the Okoboji Bureau. Bureau. <laughs> I'm scouring Northwest Iowa for stories. <laughs> uh, good stuff. It's, I've enjoyed uh, kind of working with you these last three days. Uh, you know, kind of combining on some bylines, whatnot. Uh, it's been an interesting week for for sure. But uh, just out of the gate, uh, Dargan and I kind of covered the big headlines. But what is uh, you cover the Iowa State side of things? Uh, what is kind of the level of concern, I guess, in Ames surrounding the 15 athletes? Uh, approximate 15 athletes who have been identified well from the people i've talked to and i i think as you guys are finding out in iowa city um they're not saying a whole lot nobody's saying a whole lot um so i hit i hit up some fans that i know that i that i talk to a lot and i hit them up yesterday afternoon last night this morning um, just chatting, just to, see, just to see what the temperature was in Ames among the fans. And the fans, they're somewhat concerned, but they're not overly concerned because they think that at some point that this is not going to be anything more than maybe a one-game suspension. Mm. Um, and I know that gets into Cyhawk. I know that. But that's just the fans talking to, and maybe it's the fans being wishful wishful thinking. I don't know. But but the, from the few administrators that I've talked to, um, you know, on background or, or whatever, I can sense that they're that they're not overly concerned, but yet but yet they're concerned um, because this could lead to a this could this is not just a, a situation at Iowa State in Iowa. This is a situation nationally. Um, you know, when well, I it's going to set a precedent, right? I mean, what there really hasn't been much anything really like this since in, since sports gambling got legalized by the Supreme Court in 2018, right? I mean, just individual the, cases, the, but not like yeah, yeah. A, a massive team. To, and and right. this is a two power five schools and two separate conferences. You know that they're either going to set a, a hard line precedent that you cannot bet five bucks on an NBA game. Um, and it gets the same punishment as betting on your own team. Let's say there's like two or three athletes that did that or something like that. It'll be very interesting to see what happens, really. I think we're all kind of curious, right? Yeah, no, exactly. I don't think anything can happen to the – I suppose it could, but I don't think anything could happen to the athletic departments or universities as a whole because you know as well as I do, Chad, that the athletes at all the schools go through a very sophisticated – um, um, tutorial on everything right. from how to handle the media to the the cliches to say when we ask questions to to sports gambling, what's legal, what's not legal. Um, so the university universities have done their due diligence in that. Now, what happens outside the walls of the athletic complex? If in fact this is what happened, if this is where it happened, if for example. The kids are, are are making bets in their in their apartment or wherever. I don't see how the university can be liable for that. I really don't. Um, but it's but it's possible. But but certainly there'll be. It would not shock me if there's um, maybe athletes suspended for a game. But I would. Good golly, I hope I hope there was so much blowback with the the, the six games that the Virginia Tech football player got for winning forty one dollars that that the NCAA finds this as something fairly, fairly minor, unless, unless, and we both know that this is likely the case. Some of these student athletes were underage. 
then we got a problem um, because that's that's breaking that's breaking a a law law. I mean, a, a criminal law. Or I don't know what it'd be well, criminal it's a or not. Misdemeanor, but the the sports books they can yeah, crack down exactly. the sports books. So that's why it's yeah they can crack. Yes, exactly, and that's where it may fall too. Is, is are, the, are the sports books? Um, yeah. So I it's I don't think there's a level of concern that anything will affect the programs as a whole, but possibly student athletes, um, possibly. And we, they've got all summer to figure it out. And, um, you know, I hopefully if it's, if there is a suspension, I would hope it's not for more than a game or maybe a half. I don't know. Um, I think that's how minor this is. Yeah, I mean the precedent would be six games, though, even for the, the precedent anything. is set so, for six games. Yeah, yeah then, nine games actually. Guys, it got reduced on appeal. So. Nine and they got reduced. Yeah, and and my gosh, it's uh, you know that's half a season. I yeah, mean, no, it's. My uh, I think that's what we're talking potentially here, and that that does get into week two, which is Cyhawk, which is the you know up in Ames. Yeah, there, I think there's a yeah, there's a very good chance that that a lot of players, maybe not a lot, but like six or eight or ten or i don't know how many but might be unavailable for that particular game and that's uh yeah it'd be the first cyhawk game clouded by sports gambling yeah and well dude i've been at the register a few years and i i can't ever i was talking to one of our bosses this morning and i could i can't remember ever ever covering a gambling thing like this i really can't but maybe i have i can't remember (laughs) but, but um yeah but but chad i hope we find out before the game, who's suspended? And I think we will. I think we will. Okay. Yeah, I would don't you? Hope so. I mean, I I don't know. I, I they may not announce so. it. I mean, they they haven't announced. That's what I mean. Yeah. That's what I mean. And and you know, as we do before football games, we all look, we all check to see who's there and who's not there. We throw binoculars from up in our press box seats, and then we ask we ask Kirk or we ask or we ask Matt about that after the game. And you know if they're suspended, I you know I I don't know what what their answer mm-hmm. would be. I, I I don't have any idea. I would hope it would be straightforward transparency, straightforward <laughs> honesty. X X has been has been um, um, suspended for one game, and they you don't have to cite the reason for breaking right NCAA policy or or, yeah. or something like that. Well, then um, how about this? I mean, uh, withholding. A suspension from public view uh, to affect you know, which may affect a gambling line. Who knows? You know what I mean? Like, oh, that goes into yeah, that goes into this whole thing that I, I've got a column. Um, but the gambling wrote, people will know anyway. It, go ahead. Yeah, I, yeah, but but, dude, I've I've written in the past that college football coaches should be mandated to report availability, who's available and who's not. 48 hours before games. Now, don't tell me the injuries. I get that, why they don't say sure. injuries. Yeah, I agree. But who's available and who's not? I mean, it, there's it, it, everybody on the planet that's got a cell phone has access to an app. I mean, people come into the stadiums early, I would, I would, I would suspect, to see who's warming up, to see who's not warming up before they place their bets on their phones. Um you know, so I, I would hope that that at some point and I asked Bowlesby about this. I don't know, back in 2019, um, about this, and he said he said it's it's coming. Back now, that was 2019. That it's coming. The mandatory reporting of 
of um, of, okay. eligi- of who's eligible would be coming participation. But it hasn't come so far. But but um, you know, yeah, it could. If we know ahead of time who who is out for the Iowa State game. Yeah, that could certainly affect affect betting one way or the other. Yeah, now the gaming commission, Randy, as we as Dargan and I discussed, you know, says they don't have evidence of match fixing, whatever, yeah. uh, point shaving, whatnot. But still, the DCI doesn't investigate these things for, uh, you know, identify potential criminal activity, uh, even just with for underage betting. So, you know, I, I have to think that there at least is some suspicion or some. Uh, evidence of insider information being used to wager on athletic events, which is what got the Alabama coach, baseball coach, in trouble. That was a direct violation, obviously, um, that got him fired. But uh, what do you think about this? You know, why is DCI sniffing around this and why is it, uh, you know, such a big deal? I think that the DCI, and I I don't know this enough to write it, but I think that the, the DCI has is doing its due diligence. Um, when athletes are suspected of, of, of betting, of gambling, I think that you have to, they have to, they have to look into the betting lines um, for specific games um, during a season. Some of the, some of the, the athletes, for both for both programs, for example, were were football. Well, I assume they were football players. Um, yeah, I think. Well, they've already they, announced that. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Both schools announced that. So, yeah, and I, I would, I would think it would behoove the DCI to say, okay, we need to look into this to see if, in fact, there's some shaky, um, some some sh- some late last minute fluctuation on 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 betting lines of of, of games. Um, Maybe that's what they're looking to, into. I don't know, but but the but you're right. Um, I can't say the guy's last name, Brian from the Oh, Rico. Yeah, I don't know how to pronounce yeah. it either. But yeah, the Racing and Gaming Commission. Um, um, he said that there. He said that there was nothing that appeared that would je- that jeopardize the integrity of of right. events. So, right. which right. led me to believe that they're just. I don't mean just that they're that they're betting on. Um, other 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 games and uh, um, which under the NCAA's archaic rules that's illegal. Yeah. Last question, Randy. Kind of as an old school, we're both old school journalists. I feel like uh, you know, long timers here, but uh, we don't have names to report. With I mean, the one baseball player at Iowa we've talked about because it's just so obvious. I mean, he's the best player. He's out of the lineup, out of the dugout. But uh, let's say we get the list of 41 names. I mean, I've had some people reach out to me saying we shouldn't release those names. What, where do you stand on, on, on that? If we get the list of the names from the university about who's identified, who is, it doesn't mean they did anything. It just, who was identified. Exactly. Yes. But if they say, but if they say, but if they say that they're, that they're suspended, that they're indefinitely suspended for, you know, for breach for breaking a rule, of course we're going to report that. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, but uh, I don't think, and 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 you're right. The decision was made yesterday. We all could have done it. We could have looked back to see who didn't play in either spring game, for example, and and you know maybe I don't know incorrectly guessed names there because we all know that the stars don't play in spring games anyway. But um, I don't think we're going to go willy nilly, and I know we're not. We're not going to go willy nilly and, and and start throwing out names unless 
unless they're out there somewhere. And I think this is one of those instances where where we darn sure better have it concrete. I mean, like somebody quoted or a press release from a university as saying this person, this person, these people have been suspended indefinitely for break for violation of, I don't know, NCAA rule, let's just say. Um, and the, the press release leaves it at that. And, and, you know, if we want to, if we want to surmise that, that it was, that it was the gambling situation, we're certain, we certainly can do that. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I'm not going to go, I don't think, and I know we won't, we won't go willy nilly and, and just start throwing out names. Yeah. And like I've seen on websites and I've, I've seen, you know, people have been trying to throw out names to me too. But, um, you know, I say, we're not, we're not going to do that unless we got, this is a kid's reputation we're talking about here now. Right. Um, so we're going to have to have a pretty darn concrete and we're going to have to have names attached with it. You know, so-and-so said before we do that. All right, Randy. Well, uh, I'll see you. I guess I'll see you on the gambling beat here. Probably yeah, tomorrow. Exactly. Probably tomorrow, right? <laughs> All right. All right thanks, Randy. All right. Thank take care. Bye-bye. Yep. Uh, coming up next, we're going to learn more about the new transfer wide receiver from Ohio State that has some Hawkeye fans cautiously optimistic about their offense in the 2023 season ahead. We'll be joined by Ohio State beat writer Nathan Baird next here on Hawk Central 106.3. KXNO. This is Hawk Central on Des Moines Sports Station 106.3 KXNO. Welcome back to Hawk Central Radio here on 106.3 KXNO. I'm your host, Chad Leistico of the Des Moines Register. As I mentioned earlier in the broadcast, Ohio State wide receiver Caleb Brown committed to the Hawkeyes on Thursday, giving Iowa a top 100 recruit at a dire position of need. He was hosted by Cade McNamara and, Cade McNamara and Iowa locked him up before he left campus. Uh, Hawkeyes added a couple offensive line recruits in the last week as well, and Bodie McCaslin of St. Charles, Illinois, and Will Nolan of Arlington Heights, Illinois. Uh, That's 11 commits in the class of 2024. Uh, Both those guys project to tackle uh, Iowa now 4-0 linemen in that class. With that, let's welcome in our aforementioned guest, Nathan Baird, who covers Ohio State football for Cleveland.com. As we try to learn more about Caleb Brown, who becomes the highest rated wide receiver recruit in the Kirk Ferentz era. That probably sounds kind of crazy to you, does it not, Nathan? I mean, Iowa does not get, uh, you know, top 100 wide receivers. <laughs> Welcome. Right. Yeah. No, I, yeah. Thanks for having me. No, I think that, that we, we've seen Iowa's offense the last couple of years. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a huge shock. I'm not, I'm not trying to pile on, but no, 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 I mean, we I know don't. how it goes. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a world that Ohio State um, shops in. A supermarket that Ohio State shops in that not everybody necessarily has access to, and this is uh, what they're dealing with right now at a couple of positions. Uh, wide receiver being the most primary one right now, and, and quarterback maybe being one that will happen in the future. You know, mm-hmm. um, where their their spillage can maybe end up somewhere else in the Big Ten. So yeah, why don't you give us a sense of how Caleb Brown became available before we get into his skill set? Sure. So, you know, as you've probably told your your listeners already, you know, a guy who was a top 100 guy coming out of high school out of uh, St. Rita in Chicago and was a converted running back was, a, you know, he played running back primarily throughout his career. So Ohio State liked his upside, liked his, his skill set, but knew there was going to be a, a period of transition that was going to have to take place. And for everybody that I talked to and I was doing some interviews about him specifically during bowl season, because that's where you kind of try to find out yeah. maybe uh, what's been going on with guys behind the scenes up to that point. And 
was hearing a lot of good things about him. Devin Brown, who's one of two guys competing for the quarterback job, um, told a great story about how they were, um, they'd been going through some running back injuries that year, uh, last year. And Brown said something, uh, Caleb Brown said something to Devin Brown, no relation. Um, <laughs> so, oh, yeah, I, I, I used to play running back. I played running back all through high school. And Devin Brown, who came from Arizona and, and Utah in his high school career, had no idea like, because um, he'd been watching Caleb Brown perform as a receiver and thought he was very smooth, thought his routes were crisp, thought he was you know, fundamentally sound and, and fluid out there. And I think all those things are probably true. Uh, the problem at Ohio State is that you really have to put in a lot of time in that receiver room right now sometimes for a very uncertain future. And a couple of things have happened there that may have – where he started to feel a little bit squeezed. And I haven't talked to Caleb since his departure, but this is, so this is just me kind of reading the, the room in general. But uh, one thing is a guy named Xavier Johnson, a former walk-on has hung around maybe longer than people expected. Uh, if you're only someone who has seen, watched maybe the bigger games that Ohio State played last year, you still would have seen him. He caught the go-ahead touchdown against uh, Notre Dame to start the year and then came uh, on the ensuing kickoff, came down and made a tackle. Just kind of one of those, all-purpose mm-hmm. guys, and then he had another touchdown catch against Georgia in a game that you know Ohio State only lost by one in the Peach Bowl. So somebody who, even though he isn't a starting receiver, is like the next man up, and the slot is his natural position, and that's Brown because of size and skill set has always projected most in the slot for Ohio State. And then they've also got a guy coming in named Brandon Ennis, another very highly ranked receiver that people are really high on. And he doesn't get here until the summer. Well, actually, he's in Columbus now, but doesn't enroll until the summer. Doesn't officially join the roster till the, you know later uh, next month or July. But his presence is kind of already being felt as they don't think it's going to take him a long time to rise up the depth chart. So okay. at Ohio State right now, you've got those three guys in front: Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Buka, and Julian Jeez, Fleming. That's just and, ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, and those guys are are entrenched for this year. Yeah. But all three of those guys are probably gone after this year. I mean, Martin Harrison Jr. and Mecca will probably be first round picks and Julian Fleming is his fourth year. So naturally it would probably be time for him to move along. Um, so that kind of creates this battle Royale. that's going to take place in that receiver room next spring. And for someone like Brown, I think the, the conversation was probably, well, do you want to stick around and compete and then maybe still end up being a backup? Or do you want to go somewhere else in the Big Ten or somewhere else somewhere where you could be a big part of the offense today? And I, uh, if I were Caleb Brown, that would probably be a pretty easy decision to make. It's tough to leave Ohio State when you're always in the national championship conversation. But to go somewhere and know that you can probably go right at the top of a depth chart at another program that has you know uh, high aspirations, I think that makes a lot of sense. Anything else about his skill set? Good, good stuff there, Nathan. Uh, anything else about uh, his skill set? Uh, is he just a slot guy? Do we not know enough about that? Obviously, he only had one catch for tw- for five yards last year, and it was against Iowa. Yeah. Uh, twenty seven snaps, so he <laughs> saves the red shirt, so he still has four years of, of eligibility. Right. Anything else uh, uh, that you saw from him or heard about him? Well, we, we saw very little of him, uh, unfortunately, and that was uh, so, which is one of the reasons why he's moving on. But, yes, right. Um, I think his skill set is still developing. Ohio State slot was always going to make the most sense for him. Again, maybe just from a size standpoint, from a, a fo- his football background standpoint, 
and also just the standpoint that like they keep sticking Marvin Harrison Jr.'s on the outside of this thing, and 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 Garrett Wilson's and Chris Olave's, and um, <laughs> those the guys who are the more conventional X, Z, whatever you want to call that mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and and then they use these, and they've obviously produced some good guys here. I mean, Garrett Wilson was a slot at one point before he moved back outside. James or uh, Jackson Smith the Jigba obviously had a phenomenal sophomore year in the slot. Um, they think you know, Buka had one last year when um, when Smith and Jigba got hurt. So it's a it's a place where you can really get showcased in this offense. So at Ohio State, you don't really say just a slot. At Ohio State, you say a guy who could you know tear up the middle of the field in a lot of ways. I'm intrigued by what he can maybe be for Iowa because I think just as a pure athlete, pure receiver, I assume he he goes pretty high at the top of this depth chart right away, mm-hmm. and and maybe they can move him around. Maybe they can make him uh, showcase him in more ways than Ohio State would have been able to, at least positionally. But Ohio State, he was probably, for the most part, going to stick there in the slot, um, at least in the short term in his career. Sure. Uh, 5'10", 197. Uh, Caleb right. Brown. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, you know, Iowa doesn't have any any big receivers, so they got to put someone at the X. Um, just kind of your thoughts uh, of a Michigan quarterback. I mean, all the reports suggest Cade McNamara hosted Caleb Brown, kind of convinced him to stay here. You know, made him made him feel at home, made him feel like he could be a big part of this offense. Kind of an interesting story, is it not, uh, for you know a Michigan quarterback to to attract a Buckeye receiver over in the Big Ten West. Yeah, I think if I, I would imagine Cade McNamara was going to probably roll out the red carpet for any highly ranked receiver. That was, <laughs> because I was looking back through, I was looking back through his the Michigan recruiting history, and I'm not sure if this isn't, if not the highest rated receiver he'll have played with. It's got to be close. Yeah, good point. Um, yeah. Now they've had some, they've had some guys of of, of accomplishment. I think some guys have done well there, but I don't know if anybody was quite had this kind of recruiting pedigree. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I, I think you I mean you would know better than I, but just from the outside looking in, you know, um, as much as was made of the whole uh, Brian Ferentz situation, you've got to have talent too. And uh, now you've got a quarterback there who knows what he's doing and has a, has a I think a good foundation and can come in and and be a guy who probably raises a level of, of efficiency and production in that at that position, but you've also got to get him some weapons. And uh, uh, he, I don't know how much familiarity he really would have had with them necessarily. Although I know that he, that they recruited him pretty hard. Michigan recruited Caleb Brown pretty hard coming out of high school as well. So there may have been some familiarity that, that traced back to there. Um, but I mean, it, it, to a certain extent, anybody that's coming out of this Ohio state receiver room right now is uh, something of a known commodity. And, 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 uh, you know, the Jamison Williams example is kind of standing out there as a guy who Ohio State wasn't exactly disappointed to lose him only because they knew they had Jackson Smith and Jigba coming in behind sure. and it wasn't going to throw their offense off or anything, but who obviously could then go on and have a, a phenomenal season at Alabama. So this is something, like I said before, that Ohio State's going to maybe have to deal with a little bit. They're in a, this roster crunch that's happening in that receiver room and next spring could maybe be even more interesting if guys feel that they're a little bit edged out. Uh, there's plenty of places in the Big Ten uh, directly that would take these guys and be able to put them right into a starting lineup or uh, certainly within in a, in a two-deep and get them in a, a real rotation to, to, to play real snaps. 
Yeah. Last question, Nathan. I mean, uh, who wins the East? Uh, you know, there's there's so much uh, there's so much like kind of like optimism right now around Iowa. Assuming the sports gambling thing, you know, pans out where it's not any major players, it doesn't sound like it will be. But you know, who um, who wins the East over there? Will Cade McNamara be playing against Michigan in the title game if it's Iowa, or will uh, Caleb Brown be playing against the Buckeyes if it's Iowa uh, in the Big Ten title game? Yeah, I mean, if I had to vote in our preseason poll today, I don't know what I would do um, because I, I that is a tough call to make right now. I think both Michigan and Ohio State have, have put themselves in position where mm-hmm. they rightfully de- deserve to have uh, that number one spot right now. And I don't think you can completely forget about Penn State with some of the weapons right. they have. And I think Drew Aller is a, a talented guy. And uh, that's going to be a, a pretty interesting three-way conversation. Um, that's before you start talking about a team like Maryland and how much of a spoiler they could potentially play. But really, I think it's those three at the top. And it's, you know, Ohio State in 2021, when Michigan beat them in 2021, Michigan was just a better team. And um, Ohio State, even with those NFL linemen, they couldn't do, they couldn't, you know, um, they were going to get beat by those edge rushers that day, Hutchinson and Enajabo. Last year, though, I don't think Michigan was the better team. I think Ohio State just, didn't win that game, didn't play well, did not have its best game in the, the day where it needed it the most. And that's sort of been a year-long, or uh, halfway through it, I guess, uh, project for Ohio State to figure out how to play its best game when it needs to in, against Michigan. Mm-hmm. So the other thing that is is makes it hard to pick right now is um, Ohio State's schedule. I mean, they got to go at Notre Dame, they have to, which doesn't count the Big Ten, I know, but then you have to go at Wisconsin. Uh, they're at Michigan. Um, I mean, some other stuff on this schedule that is, is tough. So, um, right. New QB. If I had to pick it, I I still think Ohio state is probably the most talented roster top to bottom, but they've got to figure out a way to, to break through this, this wall that is sort of popped up here for either a mental wall, emotional wall, physical wall, whatever it is, and, and find a way to beat Michigan again. All right, man. Thank you, Nathan Baird, uh, very much. Uh, talk to you, uh, I guess in July. (laughs) That sounds great. Thanks a lot. See, man. uh, Thanks earlier to Dargan Southern and Randy Peterson for joining me to dig into sports gambling. This is Chad Leistico signing off for tonight's Hawk Central Radio Show. We'll talk to you next Wednesday night here on 106.3 KXNO. Good night, everyone. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.